simple title this morning taken right from the passage, Jesus was sent into the world. Last week we spent the entire time on verse 16, and we saw in that verse, as you can look at it, God demonstrated his love. He took action. He didn't just say he loved us. He demonstrated his love. He did that by giving, it says in verse 16, his only begotten or his unique son, fully God, fully man, that is Jesus Christ. That is why he's unique from any human being that has ever lived or any human being that shall ever live. He is unique, one and only one, and God gave him. Why? So that those who believe in him, those who would come to saving faith in Christ, we'll be talking about that again this morning, should not perish, that is, be eternally, we need to understand that, eternally destroyed, are eternally separated from God. That's what it's dealing with. There's no need for that, but have, and we talked about that last week, have it now as well as continue. That's why it's called eternal life or everlasting life. Everlasting life in the presence of God with God for all eternity. That was the expression of God's love. As we come to verses 17 through 21 today, we see an expansion or an explanation, if you will, of what he has just said in verse 16. And last week I took the pains of sharing with you because it is such a controversial, believe it or not, verse, verse 16. We took the entire message and said it has to be understood in its context, not in our theology. And there is no way you can get away from the fact that we're continuing on with explaining verse 16 in verse 17. And that's what we come to. We come to the purpose of God in giving Jesus, verse 17, and we see that from the very first word. There we got another gar expression, for. This is the explanation. This is the reason that God so loved the world. This is the reason that God gave his son. This is the reason for the illustration of God uh, putting Jesus Christ, lifting him up, verse 14, even as Moses had been lifting and been lifted up. So he's continuing with an explanation. And he says again in verse 17, for God, same expression that we had in verse 16, and I will not amplify it like I did last week, but let me make it clear this morning. We are talking about the God of the Bible. We are not talking about the God of man's imagination. And as I was very specific last week in naming religions throughout the world, it doesn't matter what the world makes up as God. God is God, and God has explained himself and has revealed in the Bible. That is the God that we're talking about. Not the one that man would like him to be, but the one he truly is. And we find in verse 17 the purpose of God, and it's expressed both negatively and positively. And it says, first of all, in verse 17, he did not send him for a purpose. Well, notice that again, he sent him. Uh, and when we say the negative part of that, God gave him, we saw in verse 16, now he sends him. And I want to just spend a moment on that because, again, it helps us to understand the person of Jesus Christ. There are many today that say he was a prophet. 
Many today, again, that would say he was a good teacher. Many that would say he was a nice moral man. It doesn't matter what men think he is. And, and when we look at the scriptures, we can begin to grasp and understand, again, the real person of Jesus Christ and why he's so significant in the world today and will always be. Well, if he was sent, that means what? That he was with God, doesn't it? If God sent him, doesn't it make sense, even logically, that he had to be with him in order to be sent from him? Of course it does. Well, what does that mean? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17 for just a moment. We're coming right back here to this passage, especially with communion. We have limited time today, but we want to go here because it is significant. Before the Lord Jesus Christ left this world, now at least the world recognizes for the most part the time of Christmas and the concept of a baby coming into the world and the nativity scene, and they, for the most part, recognize a death on the cross. So they recognize the life of Christ. But what the scriptures reveal is something very important, even in relationship to John chapter 3. If you look at John chapter 17, look at verse 5. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is just getting ready to leave the world, to go back to his Father. Notice what he says. Verse 5, now and now glorify thou me, watch, together with thyself, Father, with the glory, watch this, which I had with thee. When was that? He says, before the world was. You see? The Lord Jesus Christ was there with the Father, notice, before the world was here. Before anything was created, that tells you again the uniqueness of the Son. That talks about the one that he's sending into the world. It was one that had enjoyed fellowship in perfect harmony with God before the world was. Before it was thought of, before it was created. In fact, and I won't spend the time there, though if you're quick enough with your electrical finger and pencil, I'll give it to you. It tells us in the scriptures that the Lord Jesus Christ, and many do not realize this, created the world. We say, well, God created the world. Yes, Jesus Christ was involved in the creation. It's very easy to remember. John chapter 1, we've already studied. Colossians chapter 1 reveals that. And Hebrews chapter 1, very easy to remember. Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, and John chapter 1. It's not the only places, but those are three significant passages that bring out the fact that Jesus Christ, yes, that babe in Bethlehem, yes, that man who went to the cross, yes, that one who rose from the dead, he was with the Father before anything else was here. And so that is why, when we go back to John chapter 3, we can see that he is sent from the Father. It helps us to understand why he's the only begotten. It helps us to understand why he's the unique Son. So in verse 17 again, God did not send him he, for this particular thing. What is that? Into the world to judge the world. The negative part is though he did send him, though he was God's gift to man as a demonstration of his love, verse 16, and sent into the world. And by the way, notice this. The world is again repeated three times. And again, I would say like I did last week, it does not take 
and an, an intellectual, not only a theologian to understand what that says. Listen, God sent not his son into the world means the inhabited world. It's obvious. You can't limit that. Yes, it's not talking about the whole universe. He's sending them into the world as far as the inhabited world. It is obvious. And it's negatively sent not to judge or to condemn. We could use that word. Some of your translations may use that word. The negative side was he didn't send Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world. What does that mean? Listen, it's important. God didn't have to do anything. Man was condemned and judged already. Why? You read it in Ezekiel. Yes, it referred to the nation of Israel. But it's the same thing that's repeated in Romans and in the Psalms. And that is that all men are sinners. The world today, 21st century, does not want to hear that word sin. Sorry. And I'm not sorry. The fact is that it's in the word of God and we know we're sinners. And that's what the scriptures bring out clearly. And you see it every day. And man already has been judged in his sin, as we will see. So God didn't have to do anything to make man guilty. God didn't have to do that. All men are guilty as sinners. All men and women and boys and girls have come short of the glory of God. And if God let us alone, we would be without hope. And that's what the scriptures deal with when it deals with the Gentiles. They were without the covenants. They were without hope in this world. And a person who has not come to Christ is without any hope. They live for this world and they fear death and all of that. They know it whether they say it out loud or not. And they're living for this world, fearing the grave because they have no idea what's going to happen. I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to face your creator. And he's going to say that basically he has revealed the way to salvation. And it's his way, not man's way. And it is only through Jesus Christ. He didn't have to do anything. And so he didn't send Jesus Christ to judge the world. The world is already under judgment. And by the way, the scriptures repeat that everywhere. Let me just give you two quick verses. One in John chapter 12 and verse 47. Now, it's a difference between him judging the world. He will do that later. But the world right now is involved actually in judging him. That is, in making a judgment on him as to whether or not he's the son of God and what he did. But in John chapter 12, in verse 47, for just a moment, notice it again. He says, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world. And there's the rest of it. I'll give it to you now, the contrast. We're going to see that in John anyway. But to save the world. In Luke chapter 19, I won't turn there. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to seek and to save. And that's now the positive expression back in John chapter 3. So God sent him because he was with him, the unique son. He sent him where? Into the world. Why? And not to judge the world, but what? But that the world should be saved. Through him. That's God's purpose. It's a purpose clause. He says that the world should be saved through him. In contrast, what is it? In contrast to condemning or judging the world, he didn't come for that purpose. He came to save the world. The world is lost already. 
It needs salvation. There is a lot of people, and probably some in this audience, maybe some in the classrooms, no doubt in my mind whatsoever, that don't even know they're lost. And they are. That's just like a person not realizing they have a disease when they've got it. Doesn't mean they don't have it. They just don't know it yet. And then finally, a doctor runs some tests and says, you're in trouble. What do you mean I'm in trouble? You got two days to live. You got to be kidding me. No. See? And that's what happens. And then they get in shock. Well, in reality, men are lost in a lot of times, men, women, boys, and girls, and don't even know it and in need of salvation. And that's what happened. The world, again, mankind, by the way. In what sense? Who did he came to save? Is this dealing with universal salvation, by the way? Absolutely not. And that's what some people accuse when you take the word world there. Well, then you got a universal salvation. No, because the context, again, is going to specify how the appropriation happens. But it's just a general statement. God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. He's not talking about animals, obviously. He's talking about mankind there. He's not talking about angels. He's not talking about the plant world. And by the way, there is a sense, biblically, in which Christ dying for the world and his return is something that creation is crying out for. Did you know that? Because all of the world, including the plant world, has been affected by man's sin. That is why you have weeds in your garden. That is why it is most difficult many times to bear children. That is why you work hard and you work hard and you work hard and it's difficult in this world. It's because of man's sin. And even creation, turn with me to Romans. It's probably worth taking a quick scan at that in case I lost you. Go to Romans for just a second, chapter 8. In verses 19 through 21. And this is just talking about, and this is, by the way, with all that goes on for the environment, I honestly do respect that and I understand that. We need to make things so the environment's better and we need to be concerned. There's so much concern about that today. Listen, you are not going to win the battle. Christ wins the battle, and only Christ, even with the environment. You've got to be kidding, Pastor Dan. No, not at all. And man's efforts might be well-intended, but you're not going to win. Watch this, verses 19 through 21. For the anxious longing for, of what? Of the creation. This is dealing with God's creation. It's talking about plants and, and the world that we live in. And it says, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. I don't have the time, but Colossians will tell you that that's the revealing not only of the Lord Jesus Christ, but of believers. In verse 20, for the creation, watch this, was subject to futility or emptiness, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be, watch this, set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And he's not talking about believers because he does that in verses 22 to 25. You can look at that on your own. 
So there is a sense, and even this world, its creation, is waiting and longing for, and there's a deliverance provided by Christ. But when we're talking about salvation, to be in God's presence, he's dealing with mankind. He's dealing with man, not angels, not animals, not plants. And it says in verse 17, back to John chapter 3, rather than to judge the world, in contrast to that, but that the world should be saved, how? Through him. God's purpose was to provide salvation, to be saved from condemnation, to be saved to eternal life, to be saved from a lost life apart from God, to be saved to a life with God. It's not dealing with verse, uh, universal salvation at all, and that becomes evident by the next verse, which I'll get right to. The central issue and its consequences are found in verse 18. And just as he used the word world three times, you'll notice, in verse 17, he now uses the word believe three times in verse 18. Notice again, as we said last week, the means or the limitation, if you will, of the provision is found in belief. The appropriation, verse 18. He who believes and is believing in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. I'll talk about that in a second. Why? Reason. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten. There it is again. The unique Son of God. Listen to me. Christ's death on Calvary. Listen carefully. Christ's death on Calvary does not automatically save anyone. Just because he died on Calvary doesn't save anyone. Listen to this. No one. What did you say, Pastor Dan? No one is saved without believing. You say, what do you mean? The elect, every single elect person will believe. You have no salvation without belief. Why? That's God's provision. That's God's way to have it appropriated. And so that's why the appeal is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God so loved the world, as we saw last week, that he gave him. God, verse 17, sent him. Why? So that salvation is through Christ alone, absolutely no question. Salvation is by grace alone, absolutely no question. But it is also by faith alone. It must come through belief. And how God miraculously does that is he works through the drawing of the Father. He works through the Holy Spirit in the life. He works through the preaching of the gospel. And Christ's finished work on Calvary must be appropriated. It must be applied personally by faith. Is that a work? Absolutely not. Salvation is not by works. But there has to be belief. And when there is belief, there is no condemnation. That's what he's dealing with. There is condemnation on those who have not, judged, who have not uh, judged rightly of Jesus Christ and believed. But on the one who believes, there is now no condemnation. There is no judgment. Look at John chapter 5. 
verse 24. Look at it. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What does that mean? And does not come into judgment. Contrast, but has passed out of death into life. That's where he's gone. So what happens? When a person comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does that mean? That's genuine faith. That's not just believing that Jesus existed. That's not just believing that he was a good man. It's not even just believing that he came to Bethlehem. It's not even just believing that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. It's personal application. Jesus Christ died there as a substitute. He died there to satisfy the righteousness of God. And when we talk about belief, it's a total submission to the Lordship of Christ, period. It's a situation where I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He now owns me. I belong to him. I'm not my own. It is a life of self-denial and sufficiency found in Christ. It's a life that now has no condemnation. I didn't read Romans chapter 8, but you can mark it down. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. To the ones who are not in Christ Jesus, we're back into John chapter 3, verse 18. What does it say? He that does not believe has been judged already. You don't have to wait till you die. You're under judgment now. Oh, the consequences won't come till death. And by the way, you may so choose to believe that the death ends in the grave and that's it and the body rots. Choose to do that if you will, but it's not true. And God has even giving us, given us, by the way, creation as a demonstration. We are going through a very cold, very icy, very snowy winter, but I guarantee you, you will see new life in the spring. Isn't that encouraging? The flowers will come through. The seeds will yield their fruit. And so will the lives of believers and unbelievers. It doesn't end there. To the unbeliever, relying whether it be on yourself, relying whether it be on religion, relying whether it be on someone else, or anyone else other than Jesus Christ, brings only judgment and condemnation now. That's why God didn't have to do anything. You're already under condemnation. Even now, you're under con God's judgment. Let me try to illustrate it by those of you familiar with the Old Testament with a biblical illustration. Israel was taken out of slavery, were they not? Yes. And they were going to be brought where? Into the promised land, right? Yes. We know the story of Moses, right? What happened? They get out into the wilderness and they complained. And they didn't like what God was doing. And they didn't, what? Believe God that he would do what he said he would do. And what happened? They died. When? Well, they were already under condemnation in the wilderness wanderings. And for 40 years, they were already judged. 
but they were wandering around, wasting their life, just moving around already under God's judgment. None of them were going in. Judgment was already done. They just had to wait, some of them, 40 years for it to finalize, that's all. And there are men and women, boys and girls, that are basically wandering around this life, bouncing from thing to thing, hoping religion will do it, hoping their life will do it, their good works will do it, whatever will do it, already under judgment, waiting till they die, and then find out the final judgments. Well, you say, well, then there's no solution. Yes, there is. I just read it to you. God sent his son into the world. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That they should be saved through him. And how does it happen? Well, the reason in that, by the way, in verse 18, it's very clear, is it not? That no one will ever stand before God and say, it's not my fault. You elected. It's your fault. Wrong. All are guilty and come short of the glory of God. There is none that will be able to stand before God and say it's his fault. All men are without excuse. Why? Because all men are sinners. And we all deserve judgments. But it's by God's grace that his son was sent. And whoever believes in him, those who believe, will have eternal life. If you have not believed, God uses the word of God to speak to the heart. He uses the word of God as part of his plan to draw people to himself. Even though man thinks the gospel is foolish, as I'll show you in a minute. We come and we find out that the consequences of sin is eternal separation from God. That's the final judgment. But why, does, why do men not believe? He tells you. He goes on to tell you that man rejects God's plan. He doesn't want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as well. That's what it says. He does not believe in the name of the Son of God. So it's rejection of God's plan. What is God's plan? Listen to me. I'll read a couple of verses to you. In Acts chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, just listen. 10, 10 through 12. Let it be known to all of you. Notice how he didn't restrict the message. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. It was someone that was healed. He is the stone which was once rejected by you, the builders, and which became the very cornerstone. Now listen. And there is salvation in no one else. You can look any place else you want, you won't find it. Why? For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. We must be born again? Yes. We must be saved? Yes. How? It must be through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and between man. Who is it? The man, Christ Jesus. Couldn't be any clearer. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I said I'd read it to you, so I better. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
in verse 18. It says this, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. Man looks at it and says the cross is foolish. It can't be that simple. It can't be that way. I must have to do something. But my friend, that is God's way, and it is the only way. And it says that in contrast because it says, but to us, talking about believers there, who are believing, what? Saved. We are saved. How? By the power of God. It's God's power. It's God's work. It's God's work in those who come to believe all the way through. But that's one of the reasons. The second reason is given in verses 19 to 21. And we can summarize it pretty quickly. And that is the reality of what man really loves. What does God love? The world. How does he demonstrate that? By sending his son. What does man love? Oh, we love God. Really? We love sin. That's what we love. The reality of man's love is brought out in verses 19 to 21. And I'll give it to you this way because it will summarize it. Man loves darkness. Man loves sin. God loves light. God loves righteousness. God loves man. But man loves sin. What a contrast. Notice verse 19. This is the judgment. What is it? That the light is come into the world. Jesus Christ came into the world. If you want to look at that, you look at John chapter 1 on your own. Verses 4 through 9 that we already studied. In John chapter 8 and in John chapter 9, again, he will talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He will talk about the fact that Jesus Christ came to bring light. And if men follow him, they will follow after light, not darkness. So Jesus Christ is light. What do you mean light? It's like flipping on these lights in a room. Man's in darkness, and God has flipped on the light by saying, salvation has been provided through my Son, Jesus Christ. Well, look at verse 19. Men loved darkness rather than light. Why is that the case? For their deeds are evil, and boy, does that hurt, but we don't want to see it. You see? Men love darkness. Why? Because their deeds are literally wicked. There's two different words that are used, one in verse 19, one in verse 20. The one in verse 19 in dealing with the word evil is different from the one in verse 20. The one in verse 19 means wicked. Because their deeds are wicked. That's why we like them. It is a willful choice notice. Man chooses to love darkness. Man chooses the way of sin. He avoids the light. He wants to hide from the light. Why? Because it exposes his actions. Look at what it says. For everyone who does, not, who does evil, that's a little different word there. Now he's dealing with the deeds or the, uh, the values that are involved. It's a different word. He hates the light and he does not come to the light. What's going to happen? Lest his deeds should be exposed. Let me try to illustrate this very quickly for you. What do we have here? I'm sure we've all experienced this. Have you ever either walked into a dark area, or maybe you got up in the middle of the night and had a frightening experience, flipped on the lights, and the cockroaches just scattered? Got a nice picture for you? Ever had that? 
Maybe it wasn't cockroaches. Maybe a little different type of insects. Maybe it was a mouse. All right? You flip on the light and it scatters. Why? Does not like the lights. It's been exposed. It likes to hide. You know what that's saying? That's man. Why do you think the deeds are considered, uh, excuse me, are done in darkness? Listen to me. Have you ever thought about why casinos have no windows? They don't. They don't. There's no windows. And then dent, door, once you get in, but everything's darkness, then they've got to flip on lights and so forth. People want to hide their sin. What happens with immorality? It's done in darkness. What happens when it's done? You think about all men. They do it in secret. They've got to hide when no one's around. And they get on the computers. And they get on the TVs. And they, men like sin. Or they'll look at you face to face and tell you how much they love you and inside they hate you. That's man. That's us. We hide it. We want to hide it. We don't want to be exposed to the reality. Listen, the day is coming in which there is no hiding from God. You can hide from your friends. You can hide from this church. You can hide behind that smile. And God will unveil your heart and the motives of your heart in everything you did in secret. It says very clearly in Psalm 139 that the darkness and the light are the same to God. He sees through it all. You might fool your kids. You might fool your boss. You might fool me. You might fool your spouse. You will never fool God. Ever. That's why you judged already. That's the picture here. And I tried to get right to that because I knew I was losing time here. And what you see that man's deeds are evil, he doesn't want to come to the light. Why do you think today people don't want to hear about sin? Because they don't want the exposure to what's going on in their life. Why do you think that people would excuse one of our former presidents with the immorality that went on? I'll tell you why. Because it gave reason for everybody else to be involved in their sin. And it's okay what you do in your private life. Really? Until you stand before God. You see? Everyone who does evil hates the light. However, verse 21, and unfortunately time's gotten away from me, it says in 21, but he who practices truth comes to the light. Why? To show that his, not afraid of the deeds because they're going to be wrought in God. Yes, we are sinners, but we come to the cross of Calvary, and that's, there's a song, I believe it says, Calvary covers it all. I think I got that right one of the lines in it, and so forth. The Lord Jesus Christ satisfied the righteousness of God, and for the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who comes to the Son and realizes, I deserve it, but Christ took the penalty and price. And yes, God, I believe that he died for me. I believe he died in my place. I believe his sacrifice satisfies the judgment of my sin the one who believes is eternal life. It's a tremendous passage of scripture. God's love was demonstrated in giving his son free gift, in sending his son, not that the world could be judged. We have a glorious message.
We need to get out there with our, that message and we need to give it to the lost world so that they can come because God is still using the gospel of Jesus Christ to draw people to himself. If you're here today, you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ. Oh, you might have mild, even mild words. Oh, yeah, I trusted in him. I believed in him. But your heart hasn't been changed. Never been changed. Not truly belief. Come to him. Come unto the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For there is salvation found in no one else. Without that salvation, you're under judgment already. Because you haven't come to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Our prayer here at Fellowship is that you come to believe. You'll have the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that you loved us before we first loved, before we loved you. We thank you and praise you that your love was demonstrated in that you gave your only begotten Son, in that you sent him into the inhabited world so that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ would not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for that love and grace. Well aware, Father, that a natural man cannot receive it or understand it. But, Father, we're also well aware that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to convict hearts of sin and judgment and bring them to the place of realizing that you didn't send your Son to judge the world, that the world must look to Jesus Christ and judge. Judge him, his sacrifice, his being sent here, and need to believe on him so they do not perish. And Father, if there be any here who have not trusted in Christ, I pray you'd open up their hearts. We know we can fool men, but we know that we're just like those insects. We like to hide in our sin. We like to hide away so the people can't see what we're really like. But, Father, we're manifested and displayed before you. We can't hide from you. And I pray that as we examine that before you, that we might just come to you and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And, Father, for those who know you, we rejoice in this reminder of communion that tells us the cost of our salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross. Might we not take it for granted? Might we rejoice in the salvation that we have, that we have no condemnation because of the work of Jesus Christ. And might, Father, we live for you. Might we practice righteousness by the power of God, for even that is not possible without your help. And we pray that you get all the honor and you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.